I was 22, and desperate for work, desperate for any human contact at all, so when I saw an opening for a junior epidemiological archivist, no experience necessary, I applied on the spot. The listing was vague, just something about our continuing efforts to better understand the scope of the silent phenomenon. I got the job on a Friday, and by Monday morning, I was already out on the streets of the Charlotte Financial District with a list of names and a scripted greeting. My duties appeared simple. Find people who had come into contact with silence and record their testimony. The streets at dawn were empty, which was mostly a relief given the infamous state of the neighborhood at that point. My first interview was with a bird rehabber, a weathered man with a severed pinky, who I found as he was raising the steel gate on his shop. I intercepted a pastor ushering a crowd of churchgoers out of a storefront chapel. There was a boy in the square whose brother was a silent. Most of what I recorded was speculative third-hand info, wispy urban myths about how silence was a plague or a conspiracy or some sort of vague metaphor. Some people were convinced it was caused by foodborne toxins. Some blamed the parents. Some suspected the kids themselves. I heard the term mute-tard a lot that day. By late afternoon, after getting mugged and dry-humped by a group of teenage girls in football uniforms, I was beginning to question how much I actually wanted the job. But I had one more interview subject on the list, a repo man who'd been hired by the city to orchestrate a resettlement of silent squatters from the buildings along Trade Street, where they wanted to put in a high-end artisan pet arcade. His name was Camara, but he referred to himself as THE Camara, and within minutes of me finding him idling in a tan Burgoyne outside a pulp hulk, he'd already shown me his blowgun collection and offered to give me a Key West salad. He didn't know much about the silence, aside from a two-day sensitivity training course he'd taken as a condition of his hire. "'You don't need to know much,' he said, chewing on a cone of fruit meat. "'People see the Camara coming, and they pretty much get that it's time to move.' Even just a shadow tells them this. Just a silhouette of the Camara passing by a window. You don't need words to tell someone they're not welcome. He didn't know why there were so many of them living in the burned-out center of the city, and he didn't seem particularly interested in the question. So long as they don't have a grenade launcher, it's easy money. We waited in the cab of his truck until the dispatcher called. We were to drive over to the Bank of America building on East 5th, where we'd meet the contract crew that would go in and take the place by force once Camara had them assembled. I asked if it wasn't overkill to involve armed men in a resettlement operation, and Camara said, A home's a home. That's basic info, DNA shit. Animal knowledge that even these silents have. When you've got a home, you're going to do whatever it takes to keep it that way. We pulled into a lot off a side street about a block from the bank building. The crew of contract soldiers stood around the transport truck that would take the silence to a camp outside the city limits. They hung around smoking fakies and telling dick jokes while Camara spoke with the CO. They were to surround the building while Camara gathered the silence in the lobby. On his signal, they'd enter through the designated access points and get everyone zipped and dipped— The whole thing should take about fifteen minutes, Camara estimated. The CO nodded and gathered his men to brief them. Camara took a suitcase from behind the passenger seat of his truck. 
I asked him if it was a weapon case, and he made a little wheezing sound. Hygiene kits, brother, he said. Everyone loves a free toothbrush. You ready?